1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank
0: you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Wow, the weather is changing, isn't it? For some parts of the country, we can say the growing season is over. For others, definitely a, a change uh, in the air and much cooler temperatures moving across. And looks like fall is indeed here. Uh, coming up on our program today, we've, we've had a change. We were hoping to talk with uh, Ambassador Greg Dowd, our chief ag negotiator, but um He's uh, got a flight delay and we're not gonna be able to do it today but he should be with us tomorrow and he'll be able to give us insight into that u.s japan deal and the latest on what's going on with china and the uh, usmca so all that will be coming up tomorrow with ambassador greg down but here's what we have for you today we're going to talk with the ceo of the national biodiesel board donnell rehagen what is he hearing on this uh possible deal of this package the white house will be announcing there's a lot of talk about partial waivers to the rfs we'll get his thoughts on that plus the countervailing duty situation with argentina uh, sending their biodiesel into the u.s we'll get the latest on that Uh, john newton chief economist for the american farm bureau federation will join us he has um, the latest uh, recommendations uh, that a working group, Farm Bureau Working Group, has put together for dairy marketing and dairy pricing. Uh, boy, the, the dairy pricing system is a complicated one, has not been really overhauled in some time, and uh, this working group has put together some recommendations, and John Newton will share those with us a little bit later. And then Dr. Jim Roth uh, from Iowa State University's College of Veterinary Medicine will join us. Earlier this week, uh, several ag groups came together to urge usda to uh you know put the uh, get the funding for vaccines and the vaccine bank for foot and mouth disease and we're going to talk with dr roth about the importance of this and about uh, why it's so critical to uh, uh keeping foot and mouth disease from from us having that outbreak here in the united states so we'll get the very latest on that Coming up in the program today. Speaking of that, I think uh, our next guest was at that the event earlier in the week. Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report joins us now. Jerry, you covered that uh, that event when those ag groups came together. What was your takeaway from that?
2: Well, my takeaway from it is that uh, this is actually moving forward as it's supposed to. They just want USDA to be as fast as possible and to remind people. Uh, that there could always be a crisis with foot and mouth disease uh, it it tends to be out of out of sight out of mind because it's something that hasn't happened in the United States since nineteen twenty nine so I think they were just raising the uh, kind of raising the flag on that issue
0: the the last farm bill the one we have currently uh have provisions for a vaccine bank, but where are we as far as uh, uh, getting the vaccines into that bank, especially when it comes to foot-and-mouth disease?
2: Yes. Well, the Farm Bill provided $150 million. Uh, But the issue is that, that, first of all, there's no American company that makes the the vaccine. Uh, It has to be purchased from a vendor in Lyon, France. And at the present time, it's the the vaccine that the U.S. has is stored on uh, Plum Island off the coast of New York State, and in order to be activated, it has to be sent back to France and processed and brought back to the United States. So it's kind of a slow process. Now, they didn't say whether they're hoping that there will be a U.S. manufacturer of it, uh, uh, but then the plan is that from now on that the, that the vaccine will be stored with the manufacturer, not in the USDA facility. So we All just right. have to see how this comes becomes, yep. uh,
0: uh, in the next few months. Yeah, we'll get more on that later on in the program. Meanwhile, this uh, there are leaks coming out about what might be in this package on biofuels from the White House, and it's kind of centering now around partial waivers to the RFS, and there's some real back and forth within the, the Republican Party even. Uh, we're seeing Republican senators go back and forth on both sides of this.
2: Well, yes, of course, the Republicans are split on this because the the senators from the oil-producing states uh, uh, like the waivers; they like as much petroleum used and not so much corn-based ethanol. Uh, And then you have the senators from the corn-producing states uh, who, you know, who oppose the the waivers. Um, uh, The real frustration here is the White House keeps saying they're going to come up with a plan, but they don't, and that's apparently because. The president wants to please everybody, and that just may not be possible in this situation.
0: Yeah, and there are questions about uh, are partial waivers uh, even legal or not. That's being debated, so uh, we'll get uh, the latest on that and as we wait for more details on that. Meanwhile, Jerry... uh, The big question uh, on a lot of these issues uh, right now facing agriculture, we're waiting whether it's USMCA or whatever it may be, what impact will the impeachment proceedings have? Will Congress move forward? Now, we're hearing Nancy Pelosi and others say yes. They think they can uh, still push USMCA through, but uh, we know how these things go. Uh, Something as big as this, the impeachment proceedings, really can suck all the oxygen out of everything else.
2: Yes, uh, Cobank said this week they don't think it will be uh, approved before the 2020 election. Uh, while there are other people who believe uh, that it will that it will move forward, because Congress is going to want to prove that they can do two things at once—that they can govern the country, that they can also uh, deal with the with the impeachment. Now, this, of course, is especially true in the House, uh, which would, which will conduct the uh, impeachment uh, inquiry. But Congressman Henry Quaylar, uh, the Democrat from Texas, who's a big advocate of USMCA, uh, said last week that he believes it will move forward, but he doesn't expect to vote until November or December.
0: Kind of depends on who you talk to, right? There's differences of opinion on if and when it's going to come up uh, this year.
2: Yes, it it certainly does. Uh, The issue that concerns me at the moment is this plan to put uh, big tariffs on uh, European agricultural products because of the WTO ruling uh, that the European Union subsidized Airbus. Uh, I, you know, the dairy industry is very happy with this just because they believe that the Europeans are keeping out U.S. dairy products. Uh, clearly, while the distilled spirits industry is furious about this, uh, the, uh, because they say it's going to interrupt the flow of the, it's on both sides of the of the Atlantic as well as Uh, As well as wine. Uh, But I I certainly think that this, uh, certainly uh, perhaps justified, uh, is uh, one more negative for world trade in agricultural products.
0: Yep, another big trade battle for sure. All right, Jerry, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot.
2: All right, good to talk to you.
0: Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with. The Hackstrom Report, again what he was referring to, the WTO sided with the U.S. In that case, uh, on EU support for Airbus, that ruling allows U.S. tariffs on $7.5 billion In European goods, National Milk Producers Federation saying the new duties on European cheeses, yogurt, and butter uh, are good news because the U.S. is running a $1.6 billion dairy trade deficit with Europe because of what they say are unfair EU trade practices. All right, coming up next, the latest on what might be coming from the White House on a biofuels package. Stay with us on AOA.
3: The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credense Soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credenz Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about Credenz Soybeans. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit fsgoldstandard.com or talk with your local FS energy specialist. FS, bringing you what's next.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with the new CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Whittall. And one more thing before we let you go. Your reaction to all the attention, all the publicity, all the money going into these plant and cell-based products.
5: We're going to continue to fight them, and we're going to be louder in our fighting because they continue to market themselves by disparaging us. And I tell you, the only marketing the plan that you have for your product is to disparage your competition, then you probably don't really have a good product. And I think everybody in the livestock industry would, uh, would agree with that anyway. So we have got to fight back on them, uh, stop them from disparaging us, and more importantly, work with USDA and FDA to do everything we can to prevent them from using the term beef. So you're going to see more and more from NCBA over the next several weeks as we roll out more plans there to combat what has been an unnecessary attack on us, and one that we're just not gonna stand for
0: anymore, Mike. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence Soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Ask your local BASF seed advisor about Credence Soybeans. Always read and follow label directions.
6: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple, we build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total Ag Water Management Solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
4: Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612.
0: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation
1: in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots of stories,
0: lots of rumors out there that we're about to get this long-awaited biofuels package from the White House, and it seems to center around partial waivers to the RFS. Let's bring in Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, for his thoughts on this. Donnell, thanks for joining us. What are you hearing?
7: Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, well, we're probably hearing the same things you're hearing, right? Uh, the, the rumors are out there that a, a decision is imminent, and uh, we do know that there's been discussions about, obviously, how to fix this problem that's been created with these large amount of uh, small refinery exemptions that are just destroying uh, the RFS after those numbers are set. So we're... Uh, we're anxious to hear how the president, what the uh, decision the president's reached on that and uh, we're confident he'll make the right decision and put the renewable fuels industry back on the right course.
0: So there's a debate about partial waivers, are they even legal and would they address the, uh, the real issue here? What are your thoughts on partial waivers?
7: Yeah, so I mean, on my understanding, I'm certainly not, uh, I don't work for the EPA, but my understanding is part of the application process Uh, for these small refinery exemptions require the Department of Energy to assess the validity of those requests and uh, that 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 assessment kind of has a a one or two or three tier ranking which uh, one of those would be a suggestion for partial waivers. Uh, one being no waivers and another one being full waivers and so uh, we've heard before that uh, the recommendations out of DOE have been many times for partial waivers to be granted uh, even though the EPA has proceeded to grant full waivers so we believe that opportunity already exists it's just a matter of the EPA taking that direction from DOE and implementing it.
0: Yeah that story that came out about EPA basically ignoring the recommendations of the Department of Energy, if they would uh, go along with those recommendations or at least listen to them, it would, seems like, it would seem like that's at least a step in the right direction.
7: Well, it would be a step in the right direction. I mean, ultimately, it's our uh, it's our desire and our the need. That I think for, to return the integrity to the RFS program is to see any of the volumes that are exempted, whether those are for full exemptions or partial exemptions. It really doesn't matter. Those gallons need to go back into the final rulemaking on an annual basis. Otherwise, uh, there's no reason to set a number if that number can then be. Uh, turned into something different with uh, with small refinery exemptions. So again, full full exemptions, partial exemptions. It doesn't make us any difference if you're going to grant them, fine. Uh, but those volumes need to go back into the final rule.
0: While not new, we have seen our, uh, the the old battles between oil state senators and uh, and farm state senators that support biofuels. We've seen that battle heat up again.
7: We have, and you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate because uh, I, I always thought we were a country that uh, would welcome any and all energy sources. And as we try to find ways to to create better and cheaper sources of energy, you would think there would be a way to reach some uh, some consensus here. But uh, the needs of the country are growing. We we need more energy uh, in the future than we do even today. And so I think it is it needs to be one of those all of the above. Uh, solutions and renewable fuels renewable transportation fuels specifically definitely play a role
0: so we wait to see what the actual announcement is now sometimes we know these stories get leaked out there kind of to get the uh, gauge reaction to them and uh, see if you know if they go ahead and release it or not uh, do you think that could be the case here
7: well i think the the president has an intention he, he expressed it to uh, some of our Senate champions, that he wanted to get this resolved, and so I do think there is, a, uh, is an announcement imminent, uh, and he, he does want to get this behind him. And I know he's, uh, he's been supportive, vocally supportive of renewable fuels, so it behooves him to, to kind of set the course back to the way it should have always been within his administration, uh, one that supports growth in the RFS.
0: So we'll see what they come out with, and we'll talk more about it at that time. We're talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National BioDiesel Board. Now, Donnell, another story we've been following uh, is this issue with countervailing duties on on biodiesel coming into the U.S. from Argentina, and whether or not those duties uh, should be lifted now or not. Uh, the administration making the, uh, considering uh, ma- uh, lifting those. Uh, you have expressed your group as well as the American Soybean Association, expressed concerns about that. Kind of bring us up to date on uh, uh, what's at stake here and why this is such an important issue.
7: Yeah, so the, the imports from Argentina were uh, had been occurring for a number of years uh, prior to us filing our original uh, trade petition. And so those duties those, those duties, those uh, gallons were coming in uh... in a dumped and subsidized fashion so that's the basis of our complaint uh... department of commerce found in our favor on those complaints all the way back in january of twenty eighteen so uh... they've implied the duties to imported biodiesel from argentina which leveled the playing field and that's all that we were seeking as an industry is a leveling of the playing field um, so that occurred in in january of twenty eighteen but then in november of twenty eighteen so just a handful of months later uh, the Department of Commerce, again, decides to take on this change circumstances review. And the basis for that is the country of Argentina has suggested that they have changed their tax regime so significantly in this space uh, that the U.S. government should take a new look at it and to consider changing those duties that were just applied, you know, a handful of months earlier. So so that's where we're at. Our go- our government decided to do that, take that look-see. Uh, they have been sorting through the facts and and it's our, it's our contention that we have not had a chance to recover from the damages that were done over a period of three or four years of these imports, uh, and that was the basis for these duties being applied for a lengthy period of time, five years. So we don't understand why one year in, less than one year in, uh, our government decides and wants to take a different look.
0: How much biodiesel comes into the U.S. from Argentina?
7: Well, currently, none. Uh, again, that leveling of the playing field has had, a, has had an impact uh, on the interest of imported biodiesel. Whenever uh, the price is the same as what you can get it for domestically, it certainly changes the markets uh, here in the United States. And so, but prior to that, there was as much as four to 500 million gallons a year of biodiesel coming in from Argentina, which was about 20 to 25 percent of the, the U.S. use.
0: So obviously, this is this is a critical issue when our U.S. biodiesel industry is struggling. So, if if that policy changes and all that biodiesel comes in, that's gonna that's gonna make it even harder for our industry, right?
7: Well, it's certainly not gonna make things easier, and I I, I think it's it's another example of what our industry has been facing over the last several years with the tax credit that's been languishing uh an rfs that's been less than consistent as well as now trade uh decisions that are are wavering so it's just been a, a real headwind that we've been up against and uh, we feel like we're turning the corner on several of those issues and, and we're hoping for things better to be in 2020
0: so when do you expect an announcement it's kind of maybe overdue now isn't it on this issue with argentina
7: yeah so we're expecting an announcement any any day um uh, commerce has indicated that they are ready to to finalize their decision. We we question what the urgency is to do that. We know there's a national election in Argentina coming up later this month. Uh, it seems likely, based on the preliminary elections, that the current president uh, is uh, is likely to not be the president next year. And so there, was, there would then be uh, a high degree of likelihood that there would be a lot of changes made to their tax structure, which could undermine this whole conversation about uh, a need for a change circumstance review and a positive decision in their part so it's our point they should just our government should take a take a deep breath here and just wait uh, for this election to kind of see what happens and then assess on the back end of that what their best next step should be
0: and finally Donella in your ever ongoing effort to get the, uh, a biodiesel tax credit back in place through a tax extenders package uh, does the impeachment proceedings do you feel? Do you fear will uh, hinder that even more?
5: Well, they
7: certainly could. I mean, what we need to get uh, tax extenders package that includes the biodiesel tax credit across the finish line is we need some bipartisan uh, support. And so, anytime there's a, a partisan politics in play, you you do kind of worry about how that might leak over into other things that need to get done. Uh, we do obviously the, the Congress has a responsibility to fund the government and uh, they've done so through a a continuing resolution just through November 21st. So we know that there's got to be some action taken between now and then, and uh, we think that's going to provide an opportunity for uh, the tax extenders to to see see a chance.
0: All right, some uh, critical issues facing the biodiesel industry, and uh, hopefully we'll get some resolution on these uh, soon. Donnell, thank you for the update. We'll stay in touch.
7: All right, thank you, Mike.
0: Donald Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Between the RFS announcement we're waiting for and uh, a decision on those uh, duties on Argentina's biodiesel coming into the U.S. And, of course, the tax uh, biodiesel tax credit through ex- tax extenders package. Those are crucial issues facing a struggling U.S. biodiesel industry right now. Up next, proposals to change dairy pricing and marketing in this country. We'll talk with John Newton, Chief Economist of the American Farm Bureau Federation, next on AOA. Synex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
8: You can't buy a best friend. You can love them Walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org.
1: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
9: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Pork from European Union countries is among the goods subject to the 25% tariff levied by the U.S. late Wednesday. Among the forms of EU pork subject to the tariffs include pork, sausage, offal, ham, shoulders, and preserved products. Chinese buyers purchased 3,500 metric tons of U.S. pork for the marketing year 2020 during the week ending September 26, according to the USDA's latest weekly export sales report. However, for 2019, of the 31,000 metric tons of sales reported, none were destined for China, a bearish indicator for market followers expecting Chinese buyers to increase their U.S. pork purchases in line of their soybean purchases. U.S. soybean export sales for the week ending September 26 smashed trader expectations totaling 2.1 million metric tons. The upstick was driven primarily by Chinese buying, which totaled roughly 1.6 million tons of soybeans, according to the USDA's weekly report. On the Board of Trade, December corn trading three quarters of a cent higher at 388 and a quarter. November soybeans up two and three quarters at 916 and a half cent. December Minneapolis spring wheat down a penny and a half at 528 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat, December down a penny at 404 and three quarters. December Chicago wheat, a penny and three quarters of a cent higher at 490 and three quarters. For livestock at the Merck, December live cattle up two cents at one hundred ten sixty five, November feeders thirty two cents higher at one hundred forty one ninety seven. December lean hogs down ninety cents at sixty-eight twenty. In the outside markets, the Dow one hundred and fifty seven points lower, the NASDAQ composite down seventy five. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl.
0: Well, the American Farm Bureau Federation has released a proposal for the future of U.S. milk pricing provisions and marketing order reform. Here to tell us about it is John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks for joining us. Uh, wow, the dairy marketing system, the pricing system is a complicated one and has not really been uh, overhauled in some time. So this is quite an undertaking.
5: You you know, Mike, there's an old adage in the dairy industry that that, uh, three or four people know how milk is priced in the United States, and and they better not all get on the same airplane. Uh, Milk pricing is is very, very complicated, and I think our folks, uh, our voting delegates in January, asked the American Farm Bureau to put together a working group uh, to think about ways to modernize and update uh, what's now an 80-year-old system in the United States.
0: So tell us about the group that came together and what you looked at.
5: Uh, we had 12 farmers from from across the country. We had farmers from uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, uh, Idaho, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, et cetera, uh, California. They all came together to really look at and evaluate uh, policy options for our members to, to consider this January at our next convention in Austin. And among some of the highlights, uh, the members thought that uh, we needed to do something to give farmers Uh, more of a voice in in how their milk prices are ultimately determined. Uh, They felt the way to do that was to eliminate block voting. Uh, They also had some recommendations around uh, milk price make allowances, which uh, represent about a $4 billion credit from dairy farmers to milk processors. Uh, We wanted to see some reform there, uh, as well as some some much-needed expansions of of, uh, mandatory price reporting to be used for milk price discovery.
0: There's then a regional system there is a regional system in place i mean what goes on in california as opposed to the northeast for say or the midwest it 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 differs would this bring more uniformity to uh, milk uh, pricing across the country
5: that's exactly right i mean there's there are different federal orders across the country so the marketing order provisions in florida are going to be completely different than those in california or in uh, wisconsin for example uh, some of the provisions that were recommended by this working group are are, are broad and that they'll impact uh, all the different marketing areas. But there were some very specific recommendations uh, to improve uh, milk pricing in in the southeast, uh, you know, parts of Kentucky and and east of the Mississippi, uh, in terms of tightening the pooling criteria and getting rid of transportation subsidies. So uh, they had a lot of recommendations that that really uh, fundamentally are designed to improve. Uh, milk pricing for all dairy farmers in the country.
0: We're talking with John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, about proposals to uh, to update, to overhaul the milk pricing and marketing uh, system in this country. Uh, I would guess, John, as you talk with dairy producers across the country, they have different thoughts, different feelings. Trying to find the consensus of all those uh, differing views is got to be a challenge.
5: Well, and Farm Bureau, you know, Mike, we've got members from all the way in the northeast and Maine, all the way to California, represent all types of dairy farmers, small and large, uh, organic, grass-fed, and we brought all these folks in the room. And I thought we were pretty well representative of the dairy industry. And what was amazing about it, Mike, is we actually did find consensus, and we were able to get the guys from Idaho, an unregulated area, to understand the challenges in the southeast. And we're able to get the folks in the southeast to understand the challenges in the upper Midwest or for the for the folks that are servicing the export market. So uh, we were actually able to find consensus. I know that's rare uh, in the dairy industry, but our folks real worked real hard to understand uh, the challenges that we all face in the Farm Bureau family, uh, milk and cows.
0: If you can pull this off, we're going to send you to Congress let you work on them.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, you know what, uh, uh, People said, we need to take John Newton off a of dairy policy and maybe assign him to uh, to the ag labor reform. Give me something a little bit more challenging to work on. So, you know, I, I, we embrace this opportunity, this challenge. It's important to have this dialogue. Uh, we haven't done it in a long time. I know that National Milk and IDFA are going to have a, a similar dialogue. And I think, you know, after January in Austin, I really look forward to being able to sit down and, and work with uh, those folks to communicate. Uh, what Farm Bureau dairy farmers members would like to see in this pricing system. Work with Congress. Work with USDA. Uh, we do embrace this opportunity.
0: I was going to ask you, what are the steps in this? Obviously, you take this to your delegates in January to get their approval, and if if you get that, then you go on from there.
5: That's right. So right right now, this is you know this this report. It went out to the country. It's available on our website at fb.org/slash, fmmo, uh, and now our our. Our members, our grassroots members, are going to look at this. They're going to debate it. They're going to send policies up to their state resolutions committee. That will come to us. Uh, The state Farm Bureau presidents will review all the recommendations, and then we'll get to January, uh, and and we'll get down to nitty-gritty and actually debate these issues and find a path forward. So I look forward to more official recommendations from the Farm Bureau members uh, after our January convention in Austin.
0: Yeah, so this that's out there now, this is not a final uh, proposal, right? It, it's going to be subject to change and we'll go through some tweaks uh, between now and, and January?
5: Well, that's exactly right. This is food for thought. These are ideas that the working group thought were important enough for, for our members across the country to think about, uh, and they can change. And we, there's maybe things that we didn't think about that the grassroots members are going to send up. So uh, this is the report of the working group and now, now the real task uh, falls on the shoulders of our grassroots members across the country to take this and turn it into some action.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to to see and hear some of those recommendations. Is there a consensus, though, John, in the dairy industry that change needs to happen in this?
5: Well, I think for, for the most part, many people thought once we finished a farm bill, that it was then uh, the next opportunity was to think about federal milk marketing orders. They haven't undergone uh... substantial reform since two thousand and eight when we increased uh, the milk price make allowance. and so there there's some thoughts that maybe some improvements uh, could be made. And, and I think that's where our our members are coming from is uh, you know there's some things that aren't working for them today. And, and we have an opportunity. I think now that Farm Bureau's talking about it, you know IDFA as a committee, we're looking at federal waters, so does national milk. They have a cheese committee. When you have all the industry players thinking about dairy policy, we've got an opportunity right now, Mike, to really do something major uh, on the reform side that makes the U.S. dairy farmer, our co-ops, and our businesses uh, successful domestically and globally. And and we've got everybody's attention on it. I think if we work with members of Congress and work as an industry, we can do something great.
0: John, before we let you go, your thoughts on how the sign-up went for the, the dairy margin coverage program?
5: Uh, Mike, I wish I could have signed up for DMC because it was a no-brainer. Uh, I think what we saw, uh, most folks signed up for the 950 coverage option. I think we saw more folks participate uh, in DMC than we saw in, in the MPP program, even that was improved under the bipartisan budget act. So I think the the sign-up was uh, better, you know, better than what we saw. And, and you know, there's all, an opportunity for folks to be a little proactive, uh, managing risk with milk prices. They've they've come up, uh, you know, in recent months. Uh, maybe look at that DMC coverage option, too, and, and lay off some of that longer-term risk. You can use DMC and DRP together, uh, so think about using Dairy RP. It's available every day. You can see the prices at dairyrp.com.
0: Uh, I'm seeing numbers showing about, what, 77% of all operations across the country enrolled in the program?
5: That's exactly right. I think you know slightly more than 22,000 uh, farms. Uh, about eighty percent of the uh, production history, milk volumes in road, and I think that's you know that's an important metric to to capture there.'s just how much of the milk volume has uh, DMC protection. I think a lot of the tier one, uh, you know in conversations with USDA is all with that nine fifty option uh, for tier two. I think a lot of it's at the catastrophic coverage option. Uh, but up's going to open for twenty twenty soon. I think it's important for folks to pay attention to the margins and be proactive uh, in managing their risk.
0: World Dairy Expo going on in Madison. Good time for all this discussion. Uh, I wonder if uh, your recommendations for changes, that might be a topic of conversation in Madison this week.
5: You know, I wish I would have had an opportunity uh, to, to visit Madison and, and maybe talk about some of these changes. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a fantastic event there at the World Dairy Expo. I always love getting uh, the grilled cheese that they have there. Uh, but but I think you know after January, after our voting delegates finalize our policy options on federal milk marketing orders, uh, you know we'll have an opportunity to engage with the wider dairy industry, and maybe that includes uh, a session at the World Dairy Expo with with our Farm Bureau members.
0: Yeah, this. How long do you think this process will be? Uh, we just talked about you know the different steps you're going to have to go through. I mean, obviously, it's not going to change overnight.
5: Uh, it's not. and I think for us, you know, the next major major milestone is going to be January when our members update uh, the farm Bureau policy book uh, and then after January there's an opportunity to sit down uh, with with the other dairy industry stakeholders and say here's where here's where the dairy farmers uh, the farm Bureau dairy farmer members are on milk price reform and, and let's talk about ways uh, we can address these challenges together as an industry whether that needs to be uh, through modifications on cap Capitol Hill to adjust the uh, the block voting provisions or whether that needs to be an expansion of mandatory price reporting with Congress or going to a federal order hearing to adjust make allowances and milk pricing formulas. We're going to need to do that as an industry, and I think we're going to need to work together on all that. And, and for us, uh, our, next, our next major milestone is January, and then we'll be ready to be actively engaged with everyone.
0: It's a heavy lift. It should be interesting uh, to see how this plays out, and uh, I know you've put a lot of work into it, a lot more work to do. John, we look forward to watching uh, the progress of this going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, as we mentioned earlier, uh, ag groups coming together earlier this week, uh, push for funding for foot and mouth disease vaccines uh, to protect us from that disease in this country. We'll talk about that next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
9: With Make-A-Wish, the impossible becomes possible. A girl battling cancer can become a race car driver battling the course. The boy showing all the nurses his fire trucks can take the helm of a real one. Wishes can give kids with critical illnesses the strength to keep fighting, get better, and grow up. Where there's a wish, there's a way. Wishes need you. Visit make a at wish.org.
0: Recently, on Atoms on Agriculture. In the state of Wisconsin, legislation has been proposed to stop the use of misleading labels on imitation milk and dairy products. And here to tell us about that is Tom Crave, president of the Dairy Business Association in Wisconsin and a farmer and cheesemaker in Wisconsin. Tom, thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us about the, this proposed legislation in Wisconsin.
2: Well, it is being proposed that any product that is not truly milk or cheese, be not be able to use the milk or cheese label. It's We think it's very simple. Uh, words do matter. Milk is milk, cheese is cheese, and we're just trying to have transparency for the consumers to be able to make an informed decision when they are buying products.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. So earlier this week, several groups came together to urge USDA to establish a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. Joining us now to talk about that is Dr. Jim Roth, professor in the Department of Veterinary Microbiology and Preventative Medicine at Iowa State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Roth, thank you for joining us. Uh, You know, I know there was a vaccine bank uh, provided for in the uh, current farm bill, and I guess maybe a lot of people thought, well, Surely we have vaccines all stored up for foot and mouth disease. Is that not the case? Uh,
11: uh, no, it's not. Uh, we do have, and, and thank you for inviting me to be on, by the way. Um, the, North America has a small foot and mouth disease vaccine bank to be shared by U.S., Canada, and Mexico. But there's uh, not even enough doses for one livestock-dense state. And USDA has recognized the need that they need more vaccine in the bank. And the Farm Bill funding will help uh, get a good start on that vaccine bank.
0: So a start, but how much more is needed? And is, is that the, the point of this story, is to, to urge USDA to, to go beyond the, the initial steps?
11: Well, it's uh, the, the point from the producer groups is to uh, thank Congress for putting that much money in there and to urge USDA to quickly establish uh, a larger vaccine bank. Um, and that that isn't enough money to do what was initially required. Uh, the commodity groups asked USD or asked Congress for 150 million dollars a year for five years to build a really robust vaccine bank. Um, and basically, there's about 15 million dollars a year for five years to do that, um, and that's much better than we've had. And they'll focus on the strains of vaccine that are uh, the highest priority. Uh, A problem with FMD, foot and mouth disease, which is a highly contagious disease of animals, it does not affect people, which is very important, uh, is that there are uh, many different strains. And we don't know which strain might come into the country. And the World Reference Laboratory recommends that you bank 23 different vaccines so you're ready for any strain that might come along.
0: Twenty-three. How many do we have covered now?
11: Well, in the in the bank uh, for North America, my understanding is is about ten, uh, and those would be the highest priority ones, um, the most common ones around the world. Uh, but only about two and a half million doses, uh, which would not go very far in a large outbreak. Uh, if we we do have an outbreak, and 96 countries in the world have this virus, so we have to worry that it, it could come in either accidentally or intentionally. If we do have an outbreak, and if we have adequate vaccine, we can start vaccinating very quickly around the outbreak and hopefully bring it under control uh, in a few weeks or months. Without adequate vaccine, um, it, it could burn through our susceptible livestock fairly quickly, uh, making them very ill. Uh, most adult cattle and swine would recover. They'd have uh, lost a lot of weight and decreased production, decreased milk production. Young animals have a high mortality rate, so baby calves, baby pigs could have a very high mortality rate.
0: So we're we're vulnerable, and uh, a major outbreak. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people realize the consequences of an outbreak and and what it would mean and how difficult it would be to to deal with.
11: Yeah, so it, the thing about foot and mouth disease is any country that has foot and mouth disease in its livestock essentially loses its export markets. And the U.S. we uh, the industry has been very successful in building up export markets. About twenty five percent of the pork, about fourteen fifteen percent of the beef, and a lot of the milk. Uh, We lose those markets, uh, the prices would drop dramatically. Um, And it's estimated that if we have an outbreak and we don't get it under control, it may be with us for 10 years. And over that 10-year period, it could cost uh, agriculture about $200 billion. Now, that would be beef, pork, and milk, and also corn and soybeans would take a significant hit because there would be decreased demand for corn and soybeans.
0: Yeah, there's a lot at stake here for sure. And, uh, I mean, here's the case. There are vaccines. We just need to get them stocked up in the bank. I mean, we're, we're looking at a situation worldwide now with African swine fever. That's a disease we, we do not have a vaccine for at this time, right?
11: That's right. Uh, there is no vaccine anywhere in the world for African swine fever. It's a very difficult virus to uh, get an effective vaccine against. Foot-and-mouth disease, there are vaccines. Um, Many countries in the world use foot-and-mouth disease vaccine in their livestock, Uh, and it's a good vaccine. You just have to have enough of it in a big hurry if we get an outbreak.
0: So it's a matter of uh, getting the dollars appropriated to uh, stock the vaccine bank then, right? Yes,
11: and some has been appropriated through the farm bill, which is very helpful, Um, but many of us believe... we we're going to need more to really build up the, an adequate bank since we don't know which strain uh, we might get. And we haven't had a case of foot-and-mouth disease for 90 years in this country. So 19, we've had nine outbreaks in the U.S., but the last one was 1929. So everybody tends to forget about it, but it's out there in the world and it's moving around, uh, so we have to be ready.
0: Can't let our guard down and and be unprepared, so that's why this is such an important issue. Well, Dr. Roth, thank you very much for your time and uh, for an update on this. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Dr. Jim Roth, professor in the Department of Veterinary Microbiology and Preventative Medicine at Iowa State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. With that, we're going to wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with our chief ag negotiator ambassador greg dowd and get the latest uh, on what's uh, these upcoming talks with china and uh, what uh, the sticking points continue to be we'll get an update on usmca and he can give us a behind the scenes look at that u.s japan deal how that came together and uh, what's in it uh, for agriculture some more details on that and also uh, we'll get more information on this uh, biofuels package from from the White House what's uh, what's being worked on the very latest on that get into that debate over partial waivers of the RFS all that coming up tomorrow hope you'll join us right here on AOA Cenex premium diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines